The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello and welcome to the Phil Hay Show. It's brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Of course, Phil Hayes here from The Athletic. My name's Dan Moylan, here with uh, Michael Normanton from The Square Ball. You can subscribe to The Athletic right now, read all the stuff that Phil's done. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. The whole world of football and sport on there as well. Pound a month for six months at the minute. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. Phil, sell one big sexy article to me. If you want to read about Calvin Phillips, you can read about Calvin Phillips. He's obviously no. left and gone to Manchester City. And I know that that won't please anybody. But the thing about Phillips was that he had a, a great background at Leeds. And we wanted to do just one last piece on him, Big Read, on the people he'd worked with, people who'd supported him, brought him through, um, but also the people he'd supported. The more that you spoke to other players who come through the academy and so on, the, the more you realised how much of a kind of inspiration and a bit of a kind of shoulder to lean on Phillips was. So that's on there. There's also um, a backgrounder on Darko um, Giabi, who's come over from Manchester City. There'll be some Tyler Adams stuff on there as well and general transfer musings. The people Calvin Phillips has turned his back on. <laughs> 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 We've got some sh- shiny new toys now, Phil, and presumably you might be writing about um, Luis Sinistera. We'll get on to all that. Let's start with Tyler Adams then, because he is the one uh, signed from Leipzig. I mean, quite apart from anything else, at least they're still willing to do business with us. Well, yes, we, we touched on this when Aronson came in from Salzburg and Christensen from Salzburg as well. Certainly with Christensen, there was a buyout in his contract, so... It wasn't in Salzburg's gift to say we're not selling him to you. They they did have to negotiate. But as we said at the time, money is money. And if somebody's paying you money and somebody's doing you business, uh, willing to do business with you at the right price, you're pretty unlikely to say no, irrespective of what's going on. So I, I did actually have an email from the Court of Arbitration for Sport this week, slightly random, um, just saying that it's still ongoing with Augustine, Leipzig and Leeds, um, that the, the decision is still being decided or being drafted and therefore the update is that there's no update that's still kind of brewing in the background but in the meantime they have obviously haven't done two deals with Salzburg they've now done Tyler Adams for around about 20 million pounds from Leipzig and and as I say I don't think disputes um, on other matters are any obstacle to taking cash from a club that is pretty clear. We should say that the email you got from Cass was completely unsolicited as well they're just (laughs) just get in touch. Well I have been in touch with them, obviously, um, because it was all going on in, in March, um, but it's been sort of radio silence since then and, until it dropped. And my understanding with Cass was that they're not actually obliged to tell you what's gone on. A lot of this remains confidential, so I don't know how much info we'll get as and when this is settled, although Leipzig have been, you know, have been pretty transparent in, in keeping certainly the German media up to date with the process as it's gone along. So at some point this is going to unravel and, and it will um, sort itself out. But as I say, it is quite an interesting case study of the way in which clubs, despite having bad blood between them, can still negotiate and can still agree on other deals. And and I suppose when it comes down to it, Leipzig do owe Tyler Adams a certain amount of decency in the sense that if he wants to go to Leeds, if they're willing to let him go, if he is for sale and he is available and Leeds are making them an offer that's acceptable and, and hits the right fee, then it's not fair and it's not reasonable to to obstruct that. And it comes as no surprise, this deal. I mean, it was being kind of touted before the window opened because of the really, really strong links between Jesse Marsh and Tyler Adams. Marsh has worked before with Adamson and Christensen at Salzburg, but he and Adams go back a long way, all the way back to New York Red Bulls, and this will be the third time that, that Adams has played under him. And as soon as the Phillips deal to City got going, and as soon as that looked like it was going to cross the line, it was never going to be long before a central midfielder arrived in return. He's Jesse's Paddy Kenny. Yes, although I suspect the relationship there is slightly <laughs> different. 
somewhat different. Um, but it they do seem tied to each other in in a big way. Um, I mean, we've seen some really wholesome stuff, haven't we, on the on the club socials? Well, Roberts was a very, very young guy at uh, New York Red Bulls. He was essentially an academy player. Roberts. When he was cu- wrong Tyler. Sorry, wrong Tyler. Yes, I'm going to have this all season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the same way as it's, I was saying to somebody, it's taken me about three years to say Melier rather than Meslier. It's going to be Tyler Roberts, Tyler Adams back and forward all season. Adams was a young guy at New York Red Bulls, he was essentially an academy player when Marsh was there initially. and But Marsh just took a, a big shine to him. Liked his talent, liked his ability, liked his character. Saw him at a really young age as, you know, captaincy material. And I was at, we, we interviewed Adams on Wednesday after he signed. And I was sort of saying to him, with most managers and players, there's quite a big dividing line between them. You know, they don't tend to get close on a personal level. They don't tend to be friends, really. It tends to be very much a business relationship. But he and Marsh are probably as close as you will get to a player and a manager being personal friends, I think. And quite clearly, they like working together. Quite clearly, Adams wanted to jump on this as soon as it, it came up. And I think it will definitely suit him to get out of Leipzig um, in the sense that he wasn't going to be playing a huge amount there. There is the World Cup coming up later in the year. He's 23. He'll, he'll want to advance his career. And as we've seen previously this summer, Premier League is a big, big draw. Just three short months ago, Phil, he was um, hawking off NFTs on his Twitter account. Are, are you going to get one of those? The way of the world, the way of the world. I saw, I think it was Venezia in Italy promising this week that they will essentially fold if they ever <laughs> if they ever get sucked into selling NFTs. No, I don't think I'll be at the front of that queue. I get the sense little by little NFTs in football are somewhat going out of fashion. What I will say about his social output is that um, it's been full of personality. It's, you can tell it's, it's sort of him and it's not one of those managed accounts, can't you? Because he's been tweeting, or his best attempts at Yorkshire anyway. People tend to roll their eyes when you say, oh, you know, a new signing spoke really well or, he, you know, he, he was like this, he was like that. It was easy to warm to it. But he did genuinely speak well when we sat down with him. He was a, he was a nice guy. He, he was very good at dealing with the subject of Calvin Phillips. He was asked, how does it feel to be his replacement? And I think it's probably quite important to say that while he's Phillips' replacement in a physical sense, they're not the same player, I don't think at all. And I don't think the way Marsh settles on playing this season is going to require the same player that Phillips was under Bielsa. There is going to be a change there. But you know, Adams kind of said, look, you know, he was he was fantastic for Leeds. He's going to be fantastic for City. It's a great move for him. No criticism of, of him at all. I, I, but I think straight away was kind of making the point that he didn't want that comparison to be drawn necessarily, even though to an extent it, it will be. But he, he was, was very confident at dealing with questions about Marsh, about Leeds, about even what had gone on last season, you know, he said he watched the back end of last season because of Marsh's involvement. And quite clearly, as soon as this move became a pretty serious option for him a couple of weeks ago, he, he wanted it to happen. How do they compare as players? I think what you'll find with Adams is that he's more comfortable playing further up the field. Although I actually think Phillips can do that as well, as you saw with England. And I suspect he might be asked to do that a bit more with City as well. That His days as a really, really deep holding midfielder in front of the back four are, are probably over now. But he's very energetic, um, is Adams. He spoke a lot um, when we, we saw him about being a pest, about buzzing about, uh, really, you know, aggressive kind of counter-pressing and, and pressing. The one thing you would say about him, and to a degree Christensen and Aronson as well, but particularly Adams, I think, is that there shouldn't be anybody in the squad who understands what Marsh is looking for more than him. He, he clearly knows Marsh's ideas inside out, which isn't to say that they're going to work perfectly or that it's all going to click. But on top of you know, making signings this summer, Leeds have been, I guess, pretty deliberate 
in going after players who Marsh specifically would want. You couldn't in any way say that this is this, the recruitment this summer has been dictated solely by the scouting department. You know, these are players that Marsh knows and are coming in. So they are backing him at the same time as as building up the numbers in the squad. And I think that's that's both a good thing for Marsh, but it also puts the pressure on more because quite clearly, you know, the excuses that were there or the reasons that were there last season for the form struggling right from the start, but also, you know, in periods when he was head coach, they kind of dissipate somewhat because you you have signed players, you have brought in players who you would like. And on that basis, you would expect a plan to fall into place. Just to return to something you said there, Phil, counter-pressing. Just explain to us what that is then, because it's a term we've heard heard mentioned. Um, can you explain a bit? So the idea with counter-pressing is that when you lose the ball, you then press to, to regain it. And it can give you situations where you suddenly come up with possession in areas that allow you to create chances and, and score goals. It's basically that that almost the strategy of using the loss of the ball and the loss of possession to to work for you. Marsh is big on that. Um, he, the Red Bull system has always been big on that. We did actually ask Adams, we said to him, is there a difference between Marsh's style and the Red Bull style as it's come to be known? And, and he said that he thought there was. He thought Marsh's style, when it falls into place, is particularly aggressive and more aggressive than you would see in a lot of places. I mean, We'll see, really, won't we, as as time gets going. And without a doubt, he has players who've, who've played that sort of style before. Now, Adamson, obviously, at Salzburg, but but clearly Adams over in New York and, and at Leipzig as well. So I think that will be a big part of, of the strategy next season. But it's interesting because we're off to um, York this evening to see um, Leeds play Blackpool, first public friendly. They, they played Stoke behind closed doors last weekend. But it's Blackpool tonight. And I guess not necessarily going to be... Uh, incredibly strong squad tonight because the internationals only returned for testing and then training at the start of this week. But I would expect this evening that we'll start to get some impression of how the formation is going to going to fall um, in the, the nine, eight, nine months to come. And that is going to be a pretty important aspect of this. Not only the recruitment this summer um, that was necessary, but also the shift towards a plan which sticks and which works. It's funny, isn't it, that we were, I was going to say tearing our hair out then, but that's a bad phrase. We were all fed up of the season when it finished, what are we talking now, six weeks ago, something like that? Yeah. And I'm just starting to get that little creep of excitement again about the new one coming now, because we've got the new players, the new shiny toys, the fixtures are starting to just arrive. You know, there's still rumours about who's going to come in next. How do you feel about it now? You've got that sense I, of, I, of anticipation, yeah? To a degree, yeah, and, and intrigued as well. You can obviously argue and debate the merit of the players who've come in, and I have to say I do like the five who've arrived, um, Sinistera about to join, but I, I don't have much of an issue with any of them. I think there are some of them who will have to prove themselves, you know, in this division, because for most of them, they are shifting from what you would consider to be lower level leagues to to one of the, the top five. And, and actually these days, probably the strongest division going just now. So there is going to have to be that, that transition. But whatever you think of the signings, you would have to say that the club have handled this period pretty well because they've, they've had the pressure, obviously, of knowing that Phillips to City was likely They've had the slightly less controllable pressure of it being evident that Rafinha wants to go if the right move is there, but the right move in his mind being to a club that don't seem to be able to pay the money at this moment. So you have that limbo status of, is he going? Is he staying? What's going to happen? What are Barcelona going to do? And therefore, how do you react to that if he does leave? But in the meantime, you know, we're talking about being in the second week of July. You're in, in the position where you've got five proven first-team players who've joined. You've also got Darko Jabby who's come over from Manchester City. Phillips is gone to City, so 
again, whether or not you agree with that deal, I think everybody would accept that the time to do that is in late June, early July, rather than the end of August. And they have got themselves into a position where they're flying to Australia this weekend with the squad not far off being done. You know, I think they've got one major deal to do, which is a forward to come in. And that really seems to depend as well on Rafinha going out. So they're in good shape. How well the plan works obviously remains to be seen and, and proof of the pudding is always in the, the results and the performances. But they haven't been caught out this summer in the middle of what is actually a pretty complex rebuild. That is one of the criticisms that has been levelled in the past that these windows seem to have dragged on forever without the required action being taken. So I do feel that they've acted quickly and decisively. Do you think they've given themselves a better shot by bringing in players that will know the system so it's a little bit more natural for them to just slot straight into what Marsh wants to do? Well, it certainly makes sense. If if you're back in Marsh and and if you're committed to him as your head coach and we spoke several times about the, the kind of due diligence that Arthur had done or the background that Arthur had done on Marsh and, and was very, very sold on him. So if you are convinced by him, by him and if you are sold on him, then it totally makes sense to buy players who fit into that that system. I think for the duration of, for a lot of Bielsa's time as head coach, there was that hope that you could have a kind of, I guess, a gentle move from the Bielsa system to whatever came next. But actually, this, have, this clearly had to be a much sharper gear change. And it does feel like a line in the sand, this, and a, and a very fresh start. You know, you, you're talking about Phillips going, Rafinha potentially going, Bielsa is no longer here. So you have a different head coach. You've got today five first team signings, six if you count um, count Giabi, and it looks very very different. And it would make no sense to me, given that you know this kind of starts as this becomes a bit like year zero for Marsh. You know he'll want this to be the the start of it all, having got through those twelve games last season. It makes no sense to me to have a plan that doesn't really you know fit around what he wants to do. And and certainly by bringing in three players who he's worked with before and, and clearly rates and and likes it, it should only help. One of the criticisms in those 12 games was that we were kind of sold on a, a natural successor um, to Bielsa when the evidence suggested that it wasn't that similar at all. Do you think now, though, now we've we've got the ability to sort of calm down and view it through slightly more dispassionate eyes in the summer, that actually a bit of a change in direction might not be a bad thing? And that's no criticism of Bielsa, just in terms of being able to you know, start a new era properly. I think that's right. The, the, there is a danger of clinging too much to what's gone before. And I don't mean in an emotional sense, but in a, a sort of tactical sense. And, and also when it comes to your personnel, I mean, you could have a, a lineup next season that has Christensen at right back, that has Rocker and Adams in midfield, has Aronson in front of them, um, Sinistera in, in some form of, of wide position. Um, I fully expect Bamford to start the season, but again, another forward in the mix. It will no longer look like the team that we were accustomed to seeing um, under Bielsa. And you do start to feel that a lot of the players who were fundamental to that, particularly in the championship, are, are now in the process of being being phased out. You know, that there is a, a change being had. And I think it will probably help everybody to focus you know, 100% now on what Marsh is doing, what this squad, what this squad are doing, as opposed to thinking about what could have happened had something, you know, had a different decision been taken back in February. It did need to move on this summer. And you could tell from the fact that Aronson went through, you know, that that was basically there and, and being written about and ready to be announced within days of the season finished. This was clearly the plan as it was drawn up towards the end of the season. The reality is that had they gone down, this is not the plan that we'd be seeing now. I was when I was sat in Illinois on Wednesday waiting to, to go up and speak to Adams, I was thinking to myself, 
it's actually quite hard to imagine what it would be like here and what would be going on had they been relegated. You know, there would have been so much change. It would have been so very different. I don't think necessarily in the championship they could have dotted around Europe picking up players. I, I think there would have had to have been some championship now straight away given who you would have lost and given the players that you would have been potentially forced into selling. So, yeah, the, the plan is, has taken hold, but blame me, it did absolutely rest on, on that result at Brentford. How do you feel about it now, Michael? Now things are starting to move. It's always a good litmus test to find out what you feel because you're generally very, very negative. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I think I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's one of those things that new players always give you a something something exciting to, to look forward to, don't they? Even in the eras when it seemed like they were almost certainly terrible, like when, when Chilino was getting all of his um, kind of Serie B rejects in. There was still a bit of you on the opening day, even with Dave Hockaday in charge. It might work. Maybe they're all going to be really good. Um, there does seem to be a lot more sense in these signs, though. And I think the club have done well to get them in early and allow us to move on from Phillips because it does feel like we can kind of put that behind us now and not spend the whole summer just talking about him leaving and who's going to replace him because his replacement is now through the door and that era is finished with and we can um, we can move on. Dan talks a lot about optics, you know, how things look and how things are perceived. And Actually, I, I need to stress yeah. that's only because I've watched Succession. Yeah. In the programme Succession. It's a good phrase. Keep using yeah. it while it's modern and, and in vogue. I just didn't want to sound wanky, that was all. Yeah, yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with that, though. Um, Phillips going to City can be sold as about the best move out there for him. I mean, there's no stronger club at the moment. There's no stronger squad. If Rafinha goes to Barcelona, again, talking about one of the biggest in club terms one of the biggest names in in the game those I think are easier for people to accept I, I think it would have been incredibly problematic had Phillips been going to Aston Villa and West Ham and hello to Villa Watch on Twitter who I think has, has tweeted me about a thousand times mm. in the last year about Phillips going to Villa so it's sad us, isn't it yeah let us know when he when he tips up but those deals people are I think far far more able to be philosophical about because they can say well you know, it's City or it's Barcelona and the, the deals involve a lot of money. Whether or not you think Phillips was, you know, priced at the level he, he should have been, 42 million is still a lot of cash and you can do do a lot with it. So it helps to make people a bit more realistic about it all. It's far more of a contentious issue if these players are going to clubs that people are sat there thinking, but we're supposed to be competing with these sides. You know, we should be on a par with these sides. And I do feel quite excited about next season, actually. I think the thing that I'm keeping in my mind is that you don't need to be brilliant to be comfortable in the Premier League. That was the the frustration about last season, was that it wouldn't have taken much in the way of an increase in levels of performance for least to have not have been in the desperate trouble that they were in. And I think, you know, when it does come together and, and when it is stable, without it necessarily being spectacular or without, you know, the season delivering anything sensational, you can be okay. And, and I don't think it's at, in any way asking too much of this squad and, and of Marsh for them not to be in the position they were in last season. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Louis Sinistera, Phil, talk to me. This should be done, hopefully, by the time this show comes out. As we're recording now, it's half 11 on Thursday morning. Not quite been announced yet, but that one is due to be completed then. Yes, Colombian winger who has been at 
Feyenoord um, for the past four years um, had quite a bad knee injury in the middle of it but has actually recovered really well from that and was full of goals and assists last season the sort of player and, and there are plenty out there like this actually who clubs in Europe and scouts for clubs in Europe are sort of naturally drawn to you know a bit like De Kettler everybody's watching everybody's having a look he's not for everyone you know not every club will see him fit or or would want to take him on but he looks like tricky skillful winger I'm not going to stick my neck out and, and say how he will compare to Rafinha because clearly Rafinha has blown quite a lot of us away over the past couple of seasons particularly in, in his first year but you do start to see a pattern with the players who are coming in they they are first team experienced so they have played at first team level but they're still on the side that they, in, when it comes to age they're still on the side of having scope to develop and potential to grow as opposed to being fully established I am a grown man. However, I do like what this reflects in the squad numbers. Oh dear. Do, do you not like, you like your squad numbers, surely no. Because I mean like, we know that Aronson's going to be seven judging by the photos of the of the training gear. Rock is going to be number eight. Sinisteri, you would assume, is going to be number 11. It's nice to see. Oh, are you hoping for a one to 11 not, with this? Not necessarily a one That'd to 11. That actually, yeah. But having like a mercurial winger in 11 and Aronson as an exciting attacking talent in seven. Are you happy, all work, all are you happy with LS 11 as well? Oh, brilliant, yeah. I love stuff like that. I mean, and, and and it's daft, but you know when people get upset about the kits and stuff like that, it's the, these little symbolic things that mm-hmm. just tap into the identity, I think actually are far more important than we than we give them credit for. I can't be bothered working this out myself, but maybe one of our listeners can tell us when the last time was Leeds had a lineup that was 1-11 to 11 on the pitch. Well, we haven't, had a, like 20 years we haven't had a number eight since Vernon Anita, and Vernon Anita is now a rapper. Right. Well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Why not? Why not? That's certainly that's what that's my um, career ambition after this job. Yeah, but but there is there's something very seductive about a Colombian international winger wearing number eleven. I, I really like this. This is this is the sort of stuff we we love football for, isn't it? He, he looks like a. I, I sort of feel with all of these players that they look like good investments without you know pretending that this, that Leeds are signing Haaland or you know you, you cream of the crop. There are none of these particularly that I'm looking at and thinking you know that seems like a, a really weird deal I've said before and I, I still feel this that Aronson at 25 million has plenty to prove because that's a pretty chunky chunky fee that but generally I think there seems to be quite a lot of potential in this group and and I think I think what is going to matter more this season rather than is this recruitment any good is going to be is it going to piece together is the plan going to come together that allows it all to thrive because I do think you've got players here that you should be able to get good things out of I do think Rock is, is a good footballer Christensen looks like he could be a bit of a machine down the right Adams Aronson clearly talented you know taking a, a jump up although Adams to be fair to him has been playing in the Bundesliga so it, you know that is a, a very very high level of competition and it's not as if the Dutch league is a is a gimme and it's not as if um, Sinistera has been at Ajax you know just milking it there um, we've been a very good club in, in Feyenoord but you know Ajax tend to be dominant over there and, and have, have the whip hand really so we will see we will see and the hit rate with transfers it, it's never normally as high as we're kind of hoping for this lot but I tend to agree with you there that it, it's how it fits together rather than their individual abilities because there's a lot of pressure on Victor Orta this, this summer isn't there not only in replacing the two stars of this team the two genuine world class stars but then what you do in terms of bringing in the replace- replacements. And as we said, the timing of it as well, it's, it's a hell of a lot that he's got on his shoulders. It feels as well like this is his first proper go at it this summer because he's had the Premier League money, but he's also had Bielsa there saying no to a lot of people, as we, as we understand it. So I guess this is 
I don't get the impression Marsh is necessarily saying no to the the people brought to him because they seem well. They seem very much like his men. No, I don't. I don't think so at all. I think he's he's very happy with with what's coming in, and you know it it is the case that at this stage of July, the process that still seems to to need to happen is Rafinha out to somewhere else. I mean, Rafinha at this rate should be on the plane to Australia. I mean, if he if he is not leaving here now, and if there's nothing agreed that he's accepting. There's no reason for him not to travel. You know, it, it, he should he should just be travelling with, with everybody else. So that makes you wonder, you know, if Barcelona can't get it together and if it just doesn't sort itself out there, is it conceivable that he could be here before beyond the end of the transfer window and go to the World Cup and then this all starts again in either January or, or next summer? The concern for Leeds, I think, with that will be that because he'll be six months further on after the World Cup, he would need to have a pretty sensational tournament uh, out there for his value to hold because clearly he's starting to to wind down when it comes to how long he's tied down for and then next summer value depreciates again because he would have only 12 months left and there will be that question in the head of is this if, if he is going and if we're selling him is this the point where we have to do it a little bit like Phillips because you you maximise the value so if he if he is going and a forward is coming in and obviously they do like the kettle art, then you know that seems to me to be the, the process that is left for them, which is a pretty good position to be in at this stage of the summer. The player's going to go out on loan. Tyler Roberts obviously gone to QPR. Jamie Shackleton's got plenty of interest in him. And they may they have been talking about a second choice goalkeeper, a new second choice goalkeeper, although I'm not aware of, of any movement on that front. But these are more kind of minor and peripheral things to sort out. I would say in terms of the core business, they've done a good job of getting on with it. Just while we're on goalkeepers, no sign of Kiko Kassir in any of the pre-season stuff. Is is he just not there? Uh, do you know, he was due to be back um, two weeks ago. So the the Monday, which was I think the 27th of June. To be quite honest, I don't know if he has been there. I'm, I'm not sure. And I'd be very surprised. He, he may well have been. But I'd be really surprised if he's involved in any way. Next I mean, I mean they're, not, they're also not going to be pushing him front and centre with the, uh, no, the, the, the media. No, they're, they? they're definitely not. And he's got a year to go. They may well come up with a settlement. They may find him a move elsewhere. I, I just don't see how Casilla comes back into the picture here. Do you think there's no way then that the club will do a forward if Rafinha doesn't go? Or may they find a way to push the boat out on that and then cash in on him later? Because it is a, it's a calculated gamble, it's, isn't it's it? It's a good question. Good question. They were clearly looking at Nketiah before the end of the season and would have done that one had he been available. And there was that period where it didn't seem like he was going to stick around at Arsenal, but now has, so that, that boat has sailed. I think in order to do somebody like De Ketla, given his value, they're going to need the Rafinha money. You know, as he, he's an expensive signing. Or I say that, I mean, ideally they would want the, the Rafinha money. If they were doing De Ketla without selling Rafinha, they would need to find the cash from somewhere. You know, somebody would have to, to pony it up, i.e. somebody in, in the boardroom. So I think the, the way they're looking at it at the moment is that if Rafinha goes and that still feels quite likely, then that funds whatever else it has to be. And it's not to say that it will be to Ketla because it does seem that his preferred move is to, to AC Milan. I, I'm just not convinced that Milan are necessarily going to go high enough in the bidding to get him out of, of Club Bruges. Um, we'll see. But it's all a bit weird. I said on the podcast last week, it's a bit weird at Milan. One Serie A and you kind of think of them as being, you know, ha- having loads and loads of clout, but it, it's not actually in reality too much like that. And I know that clubs on the continent are feeling the pinch more and more when it comes to competing with Premier League sides because there is just more money. I was going to say, Botman has gone to Newcastle. That was exactly the same scenario with him, wasn't it? He was slated supposedly to go to Milan but they just couldn't pony up in the end yeah and um, I mean I don't know whether to a degree there was a feeling that they didn't need him at the price that he was coming at and and I think they, they are quite careful 
with what they spend. But I know from speaking to, to agents and other journalists that there is a feeling on the continent that, and, and you saw it with Christensen, I mean, Dortmund seemed to think, or the feeling seemed to be that he was going to Dortmund before Leeds got involved. And on the face of it, you would say, well, Dortmund offer him Champions League football, the, the club that they are, you know, the, a lot of people like what Dortmund have become and, and, and everything else. But he's come to Leeds, who almost got relegated last season. And there is just the, the league, the exposure of the Premier League is a really big draw, but there is a lot of money here, a lot of money, and it does make a difference. What about left back then? Because there's been a lot of noise based around Junior Firpo, should we say, his unconvincing first season uh, and the lack of cover in that position. Will they move on a left back? We've seen the the kid at Stoke, uh, Josh, is it Timon, who's been linked? If they were to do a left-back, I think it'll be somebody very young, but it hasn't really been spoken about much. And from what I'm told, Leif Davis has done really well since coming back. I think Marsh has been quite sold on him, but Ipswich are keen on Davis. They're offering quite a lot of money comparative to how much he's played at first-team level up until now. So I, I sort of wonder whether he might he might exit. Purple, I gather, has been trying to buy a house. So I think you can safely say that he'll be sticking around and, I mean and, I also saw him trying to mark Mo Salah so I mean I hope he's successful with that well I'll keep you posted yeah I mean I don't, <laughs> I, I don't follow the, the house market too closely but news as we get it um, he, he I think the, the fact that the left back hasn't been you know experienced left back hasn't been spoken about much at all in this window tells you that they are going to back him for a second season and they are going to hope that it comes good for him but I look on the other side of the pitch and you've got Luke Ayling there and Christensen competing for essentially one spot so surely it would make sense to have that little bit of extra depth on the other side. Even if it's not like a player who's coming in for 20 million, like they seem to be shopping in that sort of rough ballpark. Yeah. 10 to 20 million. Is is there maybe someone, room for somebody like Timon who might just fancy coming and being a squad player and getting, you know, some of the games? It would depend on money, I think. But also if Marsh decides that he wants to keep Davis and he thinks Davis is a, is a good backup left back, then that potentially fills that, that slot. It's kind of... It's been a weird position at Leeds for years, hasn't it, left back? But it's also felt like the one position that hasn't really been covered in the academy for all the money that's been spent in the academy, it hasn't really focused on on that area. So I, th- I think without any doubt, assuming he's fit, um, we'll see Firpo start the season. And I think they do still want to try and get the money's worth out of that one if they can. Have we had any updates on um, Sonny Perkins and George Hall, the two younger players that Leeds were supposedly looking at? Because Perkins has obviously left West Ham we saw the statement on West Ham's website. It was spiky, wasn't it? It was, yeah, spiky, short, curt. He's left. They were unhappy with, you know, the conduct of, should we say, people representing him, other clubs maybe sniffing around him. Anything on that from a Leeds perspective? I haven't heard any more on George Hall. They were certainly keen on him at the start of the summer, although the fee, as I understand it, that Birmingham were looking for is, is pretty high. And also, they have done Giabi from Manchester City, who is himself only 18 is a central midfielder kind of begs the question of how much that would leave room for somebody like Hall Perkins I mean we reported earlier in the summer they do really like him they were intending to sign him this summer Um, that I would assume will go when he moves to his next club that will go to tribunal because it will have to um, because of the circumstances there won't surprise me at all if Perkins tips up here Jarby then central midfield Mm. it seems like we've almost got an embarrassment of riches now doesn't (laughs) it in in the area where there was nobody because we've got um, obviously um Forshaw in the mix, as well as the new signings. Um, how, Plus Cleek yeah, as well. I mean, how closely, but you, you think Cleek was going to play a bit further forward, wouldn't you? Like, yeah, definitely. With Aaron, um, Aaronson or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but where do you think Jabby will sit sort of in, in the in the pecking order in that? What, what does it mean for someone like Lewis Bate? Well, I, I've sort of tried to not be unfair to Jabby by labelling him as an academy signing, but on the face of it, it's hard to see him playing more first-team football than he does 23s next season. And 
in the piece we did on him, we spoke to the scout who found him first of all, a guy called Steve Owen, who worked at the school and still works at the primary school that um, Jabby went to after coming over from Ghana. And he said that um, Jabby was down there the week before he signed. He stuck his head in the door just to say hello to all the, the teaching staff. And he said, you know, Jabby had said to him, I'm not even really thinking about first team. You know, I'm just excited to get over there and play more for the 23s if, if that's what it's it's going to be. The plan was, and I think still is, for him to go to Australia. So he's definitely going to be in that group who are in the mix. But good question about Bate, really. They, they've spoken before about Bate going out on loan. I know there have been periods where Bate's been interested in going out on loan. People have seen this week that Creswell, Charlie Creswell has gone to Millwall for a season. So he's going to you know, stay in fit. He'll get a lot of games down there. It makes me wonder whether that might come onto the agenda for Bait as well, because he's at the age where he could. I mean, he's he's by no means old. I'm um, still a, a young player, but um, he's at the stage where he could probably start with with doing that as well. It has been interesting to chart that difference, hasn't it? We talk about you know coming in with a new broom and all that. That Leeds have now pivoted towards this model of loaning players out, and Creswell, as you said, is there is is at Millwall getting game time. It does feel like he needs game time now doesn't it I think he realises that I, I got the impression actually that he was as keen to go as Leeds you know I don't think Leeds were pushing him out saying you have to go on loan I think it was apparent that he wasn't going to be certainly not going to be first choice and might not get a lot of minutes this season so the decision was to go and I think Millwall is actually a really good move for him you know what it's like down there you know what they expect of players um, you know what they want the players to be I think he's a great bunch of lads yeah absolutely I think he's mm. physically um, and technically a good signing for Millwall. I don't know what Millwall will do this season. I don't know really what realistic chance they have of, of competing strongly, but they were in the mix last season and, and Rowett, for all that it didn't go well at Stoke, has, has done you know decent things as a coach before. So I, I think that's that, I think that's a really good move for him. I think he'll play a lot at Millwall. That's the thing. There must be some, you know, there must be some understanding in place that if he's fit and if his form is decent enough that he'll get a good run of games. And the intention, absolutely, that he comes back to Leeds as well. It's not a... There's no option seen, in this, yeah. There's, I was going to say, we've seen Tyler Roberts with his view to a, a move, a four and a half million pound move. Yeah, I would suspect that we've seen the last of Roberts. I think the chances are that that he... I, the, the QPR thing, from what I can understand, will be a bit dependent on how the season goes for them, potentially, and whether they, they go up. But the fact that there is a permanent option in it tells you that they've reached the point now where Roberts and the club are starting to think about him being elsewhere long term um, in the Creswell deal there's no obligation there's no option it's just a straight loan to the end of the season which like every loan will have the I, I presume the, the break clause potential in January as well if they if they actually need him at that point but no the, the idea would be for him to come back and Robert see, he'd become the, the lightning rod hadn't he for the shortcomings of the Bielsa era in many ways so it's probably the, it is the right time for him to move isn't it it's the right time for him to move um, because I think a fresh start will do him good it's also increasingly difficult to see how he would get a game given the way that the squad is shaping up. I mean, when he was younger, he, he was kind of considered to be a player who could play out wide, you know, could play as a winger. But Leeds have got a decent number of those um, not short, particularly with Sinistera coming in now. Um, if they do sign a second forward, then suddenly you've got somebody else competing with Bamford along with Gilhart and, and the Sam Greenwood in the mix. Although it does seem to be more and more noise around Greenwood playing as a midfielder rather than, um, rather than an out-and-out striker. And then in behind, you've got Aronson, you've still got Cleek. You know, it, Do you know we've not mentioned Rodrigo? Where does he fit? It's a really good point, that. And I was chatting to somebody about this yesterday, saying, I'm really not sure. You know, he'll be in the mix and he'll, he will go to Australia. Um, we'll be at York tonight, see what, what part he plays in it. But suddenly you've gone from, you know, the desperate headcounts to try and fill 11 places on the pitch to thinking that in most areas now, 
you could pick or choose your team. You know, I think if you sat everybody down and said, pick your best 11, you'd now have to think about it quite carefully. You know, who who would go where? And it isn't going to be, I don't think, a, a formality that Rodrigo plays when you've got, you know, Aronson for that kind of, that zone in there. If you're going to play two deeper midfielders, you know, Rocker, Adams, Forshaw, um, whoever it, it turns out to be, I'm not totally sure how he fits. And there's always been that thing around Rodrigo of, where is this going long term? You know, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? Are they going to cut the losses? What are they going to do? He still seems to be very much in the picture. But when it comes to the lineup on the first day of the season, it's quite hard to guess at this stage. There's been no talk of it, but is there a chance he could leave, particularly if maybe the Rafinha deal doesn't happen and they need to free up wages and maybe there's some way of shifting him out, maybe on loan for the season or something? I don't know how much they would have to free up wages, although if they were to, say, sign a forward without selling Rafinha then clearly that's going to need finance from from somewhere it would seem to me that it would become more of a question if there was some doubt about how where and how he was he was going to be involved I mean if you start putting together now a a 20-man squad with two goalkeepers so 18 outfield players I guess you can see why it is that Creswell has said to himself I want to go to Millwall um, because out with the those 18 players there are some names who would otherwise expect to to be in the squad and and some Academy players who would probably hope to be right there as well, but actually, you know, struggling to to find the space. Without any doubt, in terms of numbers, they're going to go into this season in a much better place. That's pretty clear. What of Jack Harrison, Phil? Because there's been a lot of noise around that. That won't go away as a rumour, will it? Um, Talk of Spurs bidding and then some interest in Newcastle seems to be the the highest profile one at the minute. Do you think Leeds might, if, if Rafinha doesn't go, maybe they sell Harrison, do they, or...? Spurs had a look in January or had a sniff after his hat-trick at West Ham, but didn't really follow it up to any great degree. Last time I asked, there'd been nothing official. There'd been no approach from Newcastle, but there's enough noise up in Newcastle, and certainly our Newcastle guys think that they do like Harrison, among others, for that position. I don't think it's a case of he's first choice and we've got to have him and and we're going to throw everything at him, but he's clearly under discussion there. And he does only have two years left on his contract, so I think one of two things should happen this summer if he's not leaving and there's been nothing to indicate at this stage that Leeds do want to sell him at all but if he's not leaving then he probably needs a new deal doesn't he otherwise he starts to strain to that period that area that's a kind of grey area where you can no longer really control what a player's going to do whether they're going to let the contract run down how much you're going to demand for them I think the vibe has always been that if somebody went stupid on Harrison and paid huge amounts of money or offered huge amounts of money then you know that classic thing of everybody has their the price, but it's not at the Leeds end. It really hasn't bubbled up that. Is Jack Harrison a bit undervalued by Leeds fans, do you think? I didn't think he had a great season. He contributed a lot of goals, without a doubt. And, you know, some key ones, particularly at Brentford on the last day of the season. I think he, like others, struggled badly last season. Um the whole the whole thing was a struggle, wasn't it? So you can't single him out and say, you know, that that it was on him more than on anybody else. What I've always liked about Harrison is his energy and, and his engine. You know, he, he is very, very physically suited, I think, to to this division. And I have always felt that there's the potential definitely for him to, to get better. I think there comes a point, doesn't there, if you're selling players constantly, that it looks like it looks as if you're using that in order to fund your business and, and you hit a stage if it gets too excessive where it doesn't look good to people looking in from, from the outside. As I say, it would surprise me if Rafinha is going, if that was one that they, they gave serious thought to. But you, you can't really predict or preempt what Newcastle might do because clearly there is a lot of money up there now. 
um, and money that they're willing to spend. And I know that the, the message that seems to keep coming out of Newcastle is that we're not throwing ridiculous amounts at this. We're not going to overpay this, that and the Which other. they're going to say. But they are signing a lot of players and they have signed a lot of players and they are spending a, a fair amount of money. So as I say, at the Leeds end, that hasn't really been a thing, but it is safe to say that Newcastle do like him. Contracts-wise, Somerville mm. looks like he's going to sign a new one. Is that right? And then potentially is he going to go out on loan or is he going to be in the mix? He, he would like to go on loan. I do think he will sign a new deal probably on the other side of the um, Australia tour. Gellhart, um, they spoke to him about a new contract last season, but obviously everything was in the balance because of where they were in the league. Um, expectation on all sides is that he'll get a new deal before the summer's out. So yeah, there will be a few that they need to look at. But I think with Harrison, if they see Harrison as part of the furniture longer term, then they'll have to look at that one as well. Just in that same ballpark, then Cody Drama, he's back in the mix then. He's training with the first team, is he? Yeah, although, I mean, they they, they have now... Ailing, I think, will miss... We, we should see Marsh tonight, which would be helpful, actually, because we'll find out a bit more about this. Ailing is likely to miss a few games with them um, after the, the knee operation that he had at the back end of last season. But you have him, you have Christensen who looks like he's going to be first choice right back. It's very difficult to see how Drammy fits. Um, if if he was wanting games last season, he's presumably going to want games this season and it doesn't look um, doesn't look any more likely in that sense. Um, so I, I think there are a few who, who could still go. As I say, Ipswich, like um, Leif Davis, there are plenty of clubs who would take Jamie Shackleton. I think it is more likely to be a loan for Shackleton than a permanent but at the time of talking, that hasn't moved forward um, in the way that Creswell has or, or any others. But I think I think an agreement will be reached there that, that lets him go out and play. Just looking at it sort of from an overall point of view, when you look at the clubs that are coming up, and we've obviously been in that bracket in the last couple of years, the sort of business that Forrest are doing, the, the areas they're shopping in Fulham as well. Do you look at Leeds' business and feel encouraged by it and, and, and the shape of the squad and the balance of the squad? The balance of the squad is so much better. Now it is. Um, you have midfielders to choose from and I think a few people have said to me I'd like to see another centre mid in there I, I think actually the right thing to do is to have you know a group of a more experienced group so you've got Adams you've got Rocker, you've got Forshaw and then to have somebody like Giabi behind them I'm, I'm not sure how you sell a move to a more experienced midfielder without them saying but you know how am I going to play yeah, I know players. I know players always back themselves to get in the team and everything else. But there comes a point, doesn't there, where there are so many players in there that you think, "Am I actually going to get much of a game?" Which is where Creswell's reached. You know, the four centre backs there, four centre backs who realistically look to be ahead of him in, in Marsh's mind. Therefore, go somewhere else. And I think, I, I think they have to get another forward. I really do feel like there needs to be another forward in there because that was that was one of the things they missed so badly last season. And I do think Gilhart will come on again, and I do think they need to push him. But I think they probably need to get away from the mindset that all oh, these players can instantly step up any time you need them. You know, you do need more padding there. You do need more more quality. But I do looking at the the squad and potentially the the strongest lineup on the first day of the season. I, I do I do like it. Yeah, yeah. It's not like when you look at Man City, the example of where Phillips has gone, and obviously Rodri's there as well. They're going to have like fifty or sixty games in a season, aren't they, with the Champions League and all that? And obviously we only get forty. So we get the thirty-eight league games and the two cup games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes a little exciting run to Fulham in the in the League Cup, but yeah, um, FA Cup tends to be third round and boom. Uh, but yes, so there's always this is the this is the thing about you know the discussion about the squad being too small. There's always a, a that dividing line between too small and too big, and it's been proven before that too big is not necessarily better than too small. You're probably less likely to run into trouble with. A, a squad that's too big as opposed to one that doesn't have the right resources 
but it does breed resentment with players who don't play. It does cause problems with players who don't really see how they fit. And players like that can become difficult to manage. There's a definite sweet spot where you've got enough without having too much. And they have taken on this summer uh, new software with a uh, company called Zone 7, which is all about um, mitigating and reducing the risk of injury. Um, it's it's data software that's been developed over a, a number of years. So I think they will hope that that will help them to have a squad that's a bit more durable um, and a bit more resistant to injury, which of course would be no bad thing. And we're getting back into tittle-tattle here, but just... Um... The thought occurred to me then when you mentioned bringing in another forward. De Ketelau, we mentioned him a little bit further back in the show, probably don't need to spend too long on him. Is it realistic? Is that a realistic target? Do you think there's a feeling within the club that they can actually do that? Yes, without them being blasé about it. Quietly, conf- uh, quietly confident. Uh, yeah, there would be a way of putting it, but I think very realistic about the fact that if Milan paid what Club Bruges wanted, he would almost certainly go to Milan. I mean, all the noises out of Belgium are that that is the move that he really wants and Italy is where he sees himself playing I have seen some reports saying that he doesn't want to come here I think Leeds feel that he's a bit more open to it than that I, they wouldn't, they totally, wouldn't, I was going to say they wouldn't still be pursuing it, it would they surely not make a whole a whole lot of sense um, I, I think that probably falls into the category of there's a high likelihood that he won't end up here but there's a, there's a possibility that he will therefore if you really like him as a player keep your hat in the ring but the, the good thing is that if that is the one position that they need to do, if they need a forward and, and that's the, the thing that is, is necessary, it's all they have to focus on really in the market. Obviously, Rafinha is going to influence this and, and Chelsea are ready to pay what Leeds want. Leeds would accept that tomorrow. He has held off on that so much that it's almost given the impression that he just has no interest in it. And, you know, he wants it to be Barcelona. I don't know what Deco wants, but, you know, Deco seems to be pushing the Barcelona line as well and even even Barcelona's president has been out basically saying this is you know, this is the move that he wants yeah, well, pay the money um, and jobs are good and really isn't it but to be to have I, I don't know the number of weeks but six, seven, eight weeks now till, till the, the window closes to have that period of time in which you don't actually have much business to do I think is a good thing and if not the Catalan do we have uh, other names in mind? Uh, there's nothing out there I have to say at the moment. I'm not aware of anybody else that they're looking at specifically. He's been the one that they've kind of been banging the drum about behind the scenes. But they will have uh, alternatives, surely. Well, they have to. Yeah, always. And that's why, essentially. You know, even if you're getting the vibes from De Ketelaar that, yeah, you know, I'd quite like to, to come to Leeds. But Milan are his first choice and Milan pay the cash and he says, look, I'm, I'm going there. Then you have to you have to switch again. And, you know, the, you'll have seen the stuff with um, like Kamara the uh, RB Salzburg last weekend I did say to you I hoped he hadn't bought a house prematurely and I suspect <laughs> he I suspect he didn't um, in Leeds but they did you know they did like Kamara and they did look at him um, it just didn't get to the stage that was being reported last weekend when it was saying that it had all been agreed and he was set for a medical and, and this that and the other but it there is always a certain amount of hedging of bets that needs to be done On the strikers then are we going to see a fully fit Pat Bamford tonight for the first time in about 10 months or however long it's been. Bamford um, played against Stoke last weekend. It wouldn't be that much of a surprise this evening. I don't think if it's a slightly weaker team and if various people are rested and then it becomes the whole hog out in Australia for, for these games. Maybe um, half half an hour type run outs and that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's difficult to, to know for sure. But again, he's coming back, isn't he, from really, really long period out. So they'll be a little bit careful with him. They'll it, not be Is that. it right that he scored? It was 1-0 against Stoke, wasn't it? It was, it? yeah, scored, and it yeah. was his goal, yeah. yeah. 
I was, uh, this what was, was his performance like, Phil? Back, I had absolutely no idea. But uh, <laughs> it sounded like being back in the old routine, didn't it? One 0 win, Bamford scores. Um, that's uh, that's pretty much pretty much how it went. So that not a bad sign at all. But the thing was, at the end of last season, he was without being hundred percent sharp. He was fit again. He'd got over that foot problem, and then he had COVID, which stopped him being involved down at Brentford. But given that they've stayed up, it's probably actually been advantageous for him that he's just been able to have some clear water without getting pushed again because let's be honest the attempt to push him back in did not go at all well and we're in that beautiful hinterland of there being a pre-season friendly tonight which will be in the past as you are listening to this yes although it's not going to make a huge difference to the table is it so we don't need to worry but there is there's a genuine keen interest in in seeing what this looks like what are you going to be looking out for then Phil? Uh, more than anything the the formation I think and the the tactical approach because you you assume rightly I think and and Marsh would, would be planning for this as well that when we get into next season, assuming things are going well, that there's not going to be the switch from four two 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 to four two three one to sometimes three at the back, five at the back, whatever it was. It, it felt a little bit last season like going through almost every formation under the sun, which I think was indicative of how difficult it was to find consistency in system and consistency in lineup and, and form and everything else. This is where you you start to try and pin that down far more, and and you'd like to think that tonight it, it could be you know. Could be a slightly strange lineup or strange team tonight because you do often find that in the earliest preseason games that it's not not what you'd expect to be there on the first day of the season. But it would make sense to me if there's a, a grand plan that you would see something in the structure of the team that gave you a hint as to what Marsh is thinking going forward. You're looking forward to it, Michael? Yeah, why not? I mean, <laughs> I'm uh, not not too keen on paying a fiver for it or whatever LUTV are asking, but you know, <laughs> I suppose I will. You get them all for twenty quid off all. all Four games, five games, yeah, whatever it is. Some of them are during the night, though. There's no, <laughs> need, there's no need for that. I'm not getting, I'm not getting about five o'clock to watch this player friendly in Australia. I watch it in the morning, but not live. Uh, what do we need to see from this preseason? Then, apart from that, then Phil, not just the, the beginnings of the shape. Do we need to, by the time we get round to Cagliari, seeing a proper plan in action here and some fluidity? Because we never saw fluidity under Bielsa. I'm just, it was always kind of, a, it always felt like a big sort of training exercise under Bielsa and then suddenly it clicked on the first day of the season or, he, or not he, as the case may be. Well, okay, no, not this season gone, but he was always amazing at flicking the switch, you know, for, for game one and, and Leeds just looking outstanding, which is a very simplistic way of putting it. I mean, it wasn't a case of on, you know, the Sunday when they played Stoke, suddenly everyone going, all right, let's, you know, let's do this and this will work. You know, it had been worked on relentlessly all the way through the summer. We spoke to Liam Cooper on Monday and I, I was... Ask, I sent to him, this preseason for Marsh feels every bit as important as that 2018 preseason for Bielsa because it needs to work and it needs to work quickly and, and it needs to, to fall into place. And that summer, even now looking back, just remarkable the way in which everything did change and, and everything, everything fell into place. And I'm not saying it needs to be that spectacular for Marsh because I think that's that's asking a lot. But he needs this preseason to get him and his squad into a position where when the games come around and they start in the Premier League, they're able to make quick progress and able to get going. I mean, one of the things Cooper said was that, you know, the bad start last season, the, the, the long run before they got a win, you know, the stretch of games without wins, the, the, I think it was two from the first 30 matches, it just kind of stopped them getting going at any stage and they never really got, got over that. And it certainly seemed to be on his mind that they need to make some early progress this year. And what represents a good season then in your mind? I mean, we'll get we'll get to this, I guess, as we get towards August, but as it stands now in the summer, with things shaping up as they are, where does Leeds United need to be as a club? Playing better, 
without a doubt having playing better than they did for a lot of last season um, I don't mean the previous three seasons are extremely difficult to match those showing far more consistency I think in approach and performance than they were able to in the 12 games under Marsh and getting themselves into an area of the league you know somewhere around about 12th, 11th, 10th, 13th something like that which means that they don't spend the whole year looking over their shoulder you know have a season that looks like you're in control looks like you know what you're doing don't set ridiculously ambitious targets although you know a, a, a kind of decent stretch in the FA Cup would not be a bad thing um, you know it would be nice for a change and yeah just just look just look in control again I think that's what we, we all need to see I, I'd, it, it's difficult in football because I've seen a lot of people say I'd settle for a really dull season next season except once you get two or three months in if it is dull people get frustrated with the fact that it's dull you know so I, I don't know I, I, I'm quite fascinated actually to see what it is that people want from this season because it's a bit hard to know but I guess you two can answer that I think a constant six points above the relegation zone would be nice with also a few more teams in the mix because I think this year even though at points we seemed we seemed well above the bottom three. There wasn't the padding of other teams in there, was there? So if, if there was a team going to get dragged in, it was us or Everton, I guess, at, at one stage. So yeah, a safe season. but And also, just to see the new signings actually play well would be nice. Oh Yeah, I want to see progression for me. It's just seeing us move forward. Because football is a progressive sport, isn't it? And if you're not being progressive, you're going backwards. I think that's a fair point about the new signings, though. You do want this to be a summer where actually they, they hit the money with those and, and they do come good and, and you reach the end of the season saying he was a really good investment him or he's enhanced the team quite significantly. That's what that's what you'd look for. We're selling all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and just before we wrap the show up, isn't it nice when this happens, Phil? Something's just landed in your inbox. It certainly we has. We can share. It tell, certainly tell has. Us the, because tell, tell us the news. What's the surprising news that you're going to bring us? Because it will be embargoed for um, later reporting today as we speak, but obviously we are on the airwaves tomorrow. Um, so... It is confirming, uh, as of half past 12 on Thursday, that uh, Lewis Sinistera signed on a five-year deal. Tell us the details then. Five years, what's the fee? Any indication? Uh, the fee, as we were told, was around about £20 million, something like that. And he is 23, so again, falls into the category like we were talking of players with potential and, I don't know about you, but somebody actually I'm really looking forward to seeing. And with that news confirmed, it's not coming as a surprise to you, I realise. <laughs> Phil has all these summer transfers on his uh, his email. He just doesn't tell us. It's just he won't let us into that folder, will he? <laughs> Whenever we try and have a look, he snatches his laptop away and says no. Uh, thanks for that confirmation, Phil. Well, we look forward to how it all unfolds tonight in York against uh, against Blackpool, and we will reconvene next week. Are you going to be down under? You're going to be dialing in from uh, no we, the other side of the I, world. I, I will be there. I'm actually away on holiday for part of it. I'm going to Euro Disney. Oh. Uh, the third attempt, yeah. Um, hopefully, assuming that the strikes don't stop us getting over there. But I will be keeping an eye on it, without a doubt. Good stuff. Right, we'll return next week. We'll speak to you then. The Phil Hay Show.